Jesus. Connect the dots for us this morning. Help us to recognize once again in our life, in our world, that we can be still, that we can rest knowing that you are God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Life is full of moments. I know this week has been a a full week for a lot of us in good ways, in bad ways, um, in exciting ways, some not so exciting ways. This week for me was a full week. Um, After three weeks of sneezing and coughing and whining about it, Dina finally said, it's time for you to go to the doctor. So I did. Thursday, I had a little, little bit of a fever on Wednesday night, so Thursday morning she said, today is the day, you're going. Um, so I went, the doctor gave me some antibiotics, confirmed that I had a sinus infection. It, this was really important. Thursday was an important day for me though, because we had tickets to attend a concert at Red Rocks that night. Alison Krauss, uh, David Gray, it was, we knew when the opportunity came up for us to go to this concert, we had to jump at the opportunity. And so I could not, would not, must not be sick. Uh, so we gathered there with about, uh, I don't know, a few thousand of our friends. Um, and it was a beautiful night. But we gathered there because we, had, we all had something in common. You know, we could look around and we could see there were all sorts of differences, but there was one thing we had in common. We were all there because we wanted to feel something. We wanted to feel something, and we did. We felt very cold. It was really cold on Thursday night. Um, but I have to tell you, if you've, if you've never been to a concert at Red Rocks, it's a really unique experience. Um, there's something about going to a concert like that where the musicians know they play this, the right song or the arrangement or something just right, and they create, it, it creates this kind of moment, you know? Um, it happened a couple times for me during that concert. One was when Alison Krauss and her friends sang the song Down to the River to Pray. You might know it if you're, friend, if you're fans of the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Or even if you're not fans of the movie, you may know the song. And she sang this song, and the whole place, you know, there was a lady behind us through the concert that talked through just about every other song, which is a cardinal sin in my house. Um, But for this song, it was silent, except for the voices of these people inviting us to come down to the river to pray. The other was at the end of the night when she sang a song called Take My Life. It ends with this song, Take My Life and Let It Be a Living Prayer my God, to thee. If we weren't all in tears, I know at least one of us, the weepy pastor, they used to call me. Um, It was a beautiful moment. And we crave those kind of moments in our lives, at least I do. It's why people get out their phones during those parts of the concerts, right? It's why when we go to the Grand Canyon, we get out our digital camera and we try somehow to capture this because we want to be able to relive the experience. We want to be able to bring our friends to it. And somehow, it never quite, you know, when we get out the phone and we show our friends, we don't, we just, the screen isn't big enough. It doesn't capture, it doesn't capture the moment. But it's part of the reason that we make recordings of music. We want to capture that moment. We want to be able to relive it. We want to be able to bring our friends to it. 
and the ones we care about. For that matter, it's part of the reason that composers write music down. We don't want to just sort of, there are some people who just play music by ear and they're extremely gifted to be able to do that, but there are others who can look at ink on a page and somehow they can translate that into a beautiful moment. So if you've ever gotten carried away with a chorus of a mighty fortress is our God, or oceans, or even Lord of all that we sing here sometimes, you may know the feeling I'm talking about. The feeling is part of the reason we have the book in the Bible that we call the Psalms. The psalmist knew that music has a power in our lives to help us create, to help us remember, to help us mark these moments. And this week we're concluding a series called Songs of Worship about getting real with God based in the Psalms. We've over the last three weeks looked at how the Psalms were part of daily life for the people at the time of Jesus. How these songs and poems reflected what was actually going on in the world and in the lives of people who lived in that very real world. We've discovered, maybe been reminded, that the questions the psalmist wrestled with are not unique. That we can wrestle with the same kinds of questions. And in putting together this collection, the psalmist gives us vocabulary and permission to have sometimes some difficult questions with God. Things like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or questions like, where is God when we don't get the answers we're expecting? There are other conversations in the Psalms, too. And if we do another series and we talk more about the Psalms, we may hear some of those. Things that the psalmist says like, God, you are so amazing. We can't contain ourselves on account. We sang, your love is relentless this morning. We can't contain ourselves on account of the things you've done. Or God, teach us to number our days so we can make the most of our time. If we get a chance, maybe in another series, we'll look at those. But I hope in the, the Psalms we've looked at over the last three weeks, you've had an opportunity to have some real conversations with God, to ask some honest questions. Because it's easy to get into the habit of praying prayers that are sort of the rote prayers. We pray the prayers that are like, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our hood. I, I, don't, I don't know why that has, it doesn't really, as a lyricist, it's always bothered me, but... Um, sometimes, though, I find myself praying these sort of rote habit prayers in truth because I'm not sure, maybe I'm too tired, I'm falling asleep, or I, I just don't know what else to talk to God about. Thanks for today, thanks for my job, thanks for my family, that's, I guess that's, that's it, amen. And it's cute when we hear our kids repeat some of these really simple prayers. We hear Anderson and Ellie, they'll repeat some simple prayers that are just beautiful sometimes. But as we grow up, and our faith, our world gets a little more complex, sometimes those start, prayers start to feel like they don't always cover everything. But we still pray those prayers once in a while because we want to be sure we're talking about, with God about something, right? So at the very least, I hope this series has been a reminder that we can and should talk to Jesus about all kinds of things happening in our lives and in our world. So in keeping with the last two weeks of our series, I want to read you some lyrics from a song that was special in my childhood. It's not Michael Jackson this time. Um, but I think some of you will, will recognize the words probably right away. They go like this. <clears throat> Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, 
South, some of you know, I heard laughing, some of you know it already. South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Studebaker, Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe, Rosenberg, South, uh, H-Bomb, Sugar Ray, Panmunjom, Brando, The King and I, and The Catcher in the Rye, Eisenhower, Vaccine, England's Got a New Queen, sorry, Jason. Marciano Liberace, Santayana, goodbye, and you know the chorus. We didn't start the fire, right? Billy Joel wrote these words. It was always burning since the world's been turning. Joseph Stalin, Malenkov, Nasser and Prokofiev, Rockefeller, Campanella, Communist Bloc, Roy Kahn, Juan Peron, Toscanini, Dacron, Jen Ben Fu Falls, rock around the clock. Einstein, James Dean, Brooklyn's got a winning team. Davy Crockett, Peter Pan, Elvis Presley, Disneyland, Bardo, Budapest, Alabama, Khrushchev, Princess Grace, Peyton Place, Trouble in the Suez. We didn't start the fire. Little Rock, Pasternak, Mickey Mantle, Kerouac, Sputnik, Zhuen Lai, Bridge Over the River Kwai, Lebanon, Charles de Gaulle, California Baseball, Starkweather Homicide, Children of Thalidomide, Buddy Holly, Ben-Hur, Space Monkey, Mafia, Hula Hoops, Castro, Edsel is a no-go. You too, not the band. Singman Ray, Paola, Kennedy, Chubby Checker, Psycho, Belgians in the Congo. We didn't start the fire. Hemingway, Eichmann, Eichmann? I, Tom, Sherry, no, not to, Tommy, not, no, okay. Hemingway, Eichmann, Stranger in a Strange Land, Dylan, Berlin, Bay of Pigs Invasion, Lawrence of Arabia, British Beatlemania, Ole Miss, John Glenn. Liston Beats Patterson, Pope Paul, Malcolm X, British politician sex, JFK, blown away, what else do I have to say? We didn't start the fire. There's one more verse. Birth control, Ho Chi Minh, Richard Nixon, back again, Woodstock, uh, Moonshot, Woodstock, Watergate, punk rock, Reagan, Reagan, Palestine, terror on the airline, Ayatollahs in Iran, Russians in Afghanistan, Wheel of Fortune, Sally Ride, Heavy Metal Suicide, Foreign Deaths, Homeless Vets, AIDS, Crack, Bernie Getz, Hypodermics on the Shore, China's Under Martial Law, Rock and Roller Cola Wars, I can't take it anymore. If you've ever felt like our world is moving faster and faster every day, I wonder what words Billy Joel might write in the last 20 years. If you ever felt like you just wondered how much faster this merry-go-round of a planet can spin before ponies start flying off in every direction. If you've ever sung those words by Billy Joel and stopped because you realized how true they actually are, that our world is just moving faster, then you can probably relate to the words that the psalmist wrote down and that Kevin read for us this morning. Growing up, I remember a handful of times in the middle of some family gathering I remember I would look at my grandfather, Pa, we called him, not Papa that you met a few weeks ago, but my actual grandfather on the other side. Pa, we called him, and he would just get quiet, and it was like the rest of the world had stopped spinning. He would sort of look with a distant look in his eyes, and he would say, Eliah, Jesus is coming soon. It was like he saw all at once everything that was happening in the world, and he thought to himself, we cannot keep moving at this pace. We can't keep progressing like this. God help us if it doesn't end soon. Now, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. I grew up as part of this tribe. And I wanted to be, especially when I was young, before I was baptized, I wanted to be sure that I was a, a good Adventist. 
And so when I was baptized around 10 years old, I remember the pastor who baptized me took me through Bible studies and studies to be sure that I understood all, at that time it was 27 of the ideas that we call our fundamental beliefs, sort of the core things that have shaped this tribe, this denomination, and what we believe. Uh, we only had 27 back then, and in fact, at some point, um, someone published them in a book called, very appropriately, Seventh-day Adventists Believe. That was the title. Uh, it, was, it was only about uh, this thick. No, it, was, it wasn't. It was about this thick. But you know what I realized over time is that friends and strangers, people I would meet in, in places, they would say, well, what church do you go to? And I would say, well, uh, they would ask me the question, what do Adventists believe? Sometimes it would be someone that was just curious because they heard our name. They thought it was um, Seventh-day Adventists sounds so much because it's three words, I guess. It sounds like Latter-day Saints or, uh, you know, I'm not sure why that is either, but it's like people who always use three Three names, three words, and it, there's something that's just kind of creepy. Like we have Latter-day Saints, Lee Harvey Oswald, John Wilkes Booth, Seventh-day Adventist, Michael W. Smith. No, he's a singer. Uh, Larry the Cucumber. No, that's Veggie Tales. Um, but I realized over time that when someone wanted to know what was particular about my faith, I needed, like I didn't have time to sit down and say, well, there's this book called Seventh-day Adventist Believe. No, they... They usually wanted just, I, I usually only had time for a couple bullet points. So I tried a few different things to express what's the core of our faith. How, what, how can you remember? For a while I thought diet and exercise. I thought that would be good. We, you know we believe in a health message. For a while I thought creation and what happens after you die. Uh, but lately I've started telling people that it's really from the two ideas that make up our name. If you read the Daily Walk this week, you might remember that I said, I think both of those ideas are tucked into this psalm. The psalm that Kevin read for us this morning might be one of the most Adventist psalms in the collection. Because, we, see, we, we believe in this idea of a seventh-day Sabbath. Because we believe there's an order and there's a rhythm to life. And so people use different reasons to describe these two things, but or different, different language sometimes, but we believe there's an order and a rhythm to life, and so we pause to remember that God makes the world go around and not us. And then there's the idea of the advent. We believe that Jesus is coming again. These two ideas, for many Adventists, shape the way we live every day, at least in theory, sometimes more than in practice. But for those of us who've grown up in this tradition where we hold a really high value for the Sabbath, for rest, this, this text seems like an easy jump, especially those words that we all know, be still and know that I am God. Seventh-day Adventists have long held a position that there's a deep connection between observing Sabbath and understanding the character of God. So we read, be still and know that I am God, and something deep in our DNA if you've grown up in this tribe, something just like quivers with excitement. Yes, Sabbath, rest, no God. But I'd like to suggest that even if, like me, you did grow up steeped in the traditions of Adventism, there's a lot more to this song than just an invitation to stop working on Saturday. It's more than making sure Friday night movies end before sundown 
or that our Saturday night parties begin after sunset, or at least that they have Vespers to begin those parties. And I know for some of you, if you're visiting with us this week, this sounds like secret code maybe when I say the words Vespers. And my intent, please know my intent is not to alienate or to make, make anyone feel like you're an outsider. In fact, if you're in this room today, you're, we consider you part of our church family, and you should know that. It's just that when you grow up within a group of people, when you, when you belong to a culture for a long period of time, it's possible to start behaving like others in that tribe without even thinking about it. Behavioral psychologists uh, who, who focus on how we behave, how we act, what we do, they call this uh, mirroring behavior, and it's exactly what it sounds like. When you spend enough time together, you start to do some of the same things. When Nick and I, I didn't know he was going to be here this morning, it was such a good surprise. I was, gonna, I was trying to find the right words, and then I realized maybe it sounded like I wasn't happy you were here. But it was such a, such a good surprise to see Nick this morning. Um, we used to play, we learned to play guitar together. And so a lot of the chords we, you know, that, I mean, that's, you spend time with people and you start to mirror or mimic or pick up some of the be- same behavioral traits. I was a meeting with, in a meeting with Japheth and Jessica a couple months ago. And while we were sitting in the office, Jessica did this. And she's not from Hawaii. And Japheth stopped, the, he stopped the whole meeting. He said, wait a minute, what did you just do? She said, I did, I did this. He said, no, that's, that's, me, that's my move. That's how I point to two people in the room at the same time. I can't just point, point to you and you're sitting on opposite sides, but I can point to both of you at the same time. So we started making a list of all the different things that working together, the things that we'd come up with. I won't share all of them with you today, but I will say this. Japheth has started wearing plaid. I'm very proud. <laughs> and Jessica has started telling jokes. So I'm... Um, love you guys. <laughs> um, we, but we all do this to some degree. I never used to say no worries until I started hanging out with a friend who also said that. I have one friend who calls me mate in emails, and it's not Jfit, but he's not British, and he's not Australian, and it just doesn't seem to fit. But, um, but somehow we pick these things up when we spend time with other people. So that brings us to our first recalibrate question this morning. Uh, it's in your worship guide, and I want you to just think uh, doesn't, this doesn't have to be super deep, but what is one behavior that you have picked up from someone close to you just by spending time together? It could be an expression, could be a phrase that you use, could be a hand gesture, a polite one. Um, but I bring this up, this, this mirroring behavior is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing inherently. Um, it's just part of the way that we're wired as people. And so it's entirely possible for us to start acting like the people around us without even thinking about it, without intention. So it's possible for us to go through the motions of being still without ever actually being still. So you may choose not to dine out on Saturdays, but you may find yourself stressed to the point of exhaustion or worse, preparing a meal for your family or friends. You may choose not to go into the office on Saturday morning, but the whole time you're in the pew, right now you're thinking about the meeting on Monday morning, or at least now that I brought it up, you are. (laughs) You may choose to turn off the TV on Friday night and wonder about the final score of the game for the next 24 hours. 
or less. You might sneak a peek on your phone later. But to appear to stop, the appearance of stopping is not the same as being still. So for some of you, this may be the only reason that you're here this morning. You need permission to be still again. Some of you work all week so you can get to the weekend and then you find yourselves the weekend is the busiest time of your life because you're trying to cram in church, you're trying to cram in quality time with family or friends, or there are things that you just need to get done before you're back to work on Monday. So let me say this for you this morning, in case you're one of the ones who needs to hear it, in case no one else in your life is willing or able to say this to you this morning. Stop. It's hard, right? Because it can feel like sometimes no one else can do the things that you can do. Or maybe nobody else cares about the things that you're responsible for. And so if you don't get those things done, maybe it's a failure, it's a weakness. This is one of the things I constantly struggle with. So trust me when I say that I know this feeling can feel like a weakness or failure. You might remember last week we talked about what to do when God seems inattentive, uncooperative, or late. But one of the most influential people in the Bible, in the Second Testament, was named Paul. And scholars pretty much agree that Paul has written the majority of what we call the Second Testament or the New Testament. It's one of his letters to his friends in Corinth. It's in sec- the letter of Second Corinthians, and it's in your pew Bibles if you want to read along on page 1073. And Paul shares about one of his weaknesses, starting with chapter 12, verse 7. Again, it's on page 1073. Those pew Bibles, by the way, if you haven't taken one home yet, you should. Take them home, write in them, mark them up, bring them back. I mean, but use it. Make it yours. Um, So this is what Paul says. "So, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. We don't know, by the way, if this is literal messenger. Like sometimes you just say, I've had like the week from hell. Familiar with, some of you may have used the expression. We don't know if Paul was literally saying a messenger of Satan or if he was using a, like a euphemism in that way. But a messenger of Satan, Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded to the Lord about this. That, should, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God didn't say, I'm going to take your weakness away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, For when I am weak, then I am strong. If leaving things unfinished at the end of the week feels like a weakness for you, we have permission from Paul. We have permission from me if it's worth anything. Stop. It'll be there on Monday. So I want to ask you this second recalibrate question this morning. Maybe for you it's not time management, maybe it's not getting things done, but what is one of the biggest weaknesses in your life right now? How is God using that? How are you learning to depend on God because of that?
Now, some of us know the words of this psalm because there's a beautiful promise in the words, be still and know that I am God. We don't know most of the rest. We know a little bit about a mighty fortress, but be still and know that I'm God. We know this part because for, for a lot of us, it's written into some of our favorite songs. I hear those words and I can't help but think there's one song by Stephen Curtis Chapman, be still and know that he is God. It's a beautiful song. It's a personal call to be still, to slow down, to recognize that God is at work in our lives. And I can't read these words without thinking about that. But the truth is, if we look at the context, if we, some of us were sort of surprised maybe to hear those words, because in what Kevin was reading, it wasn't, the psalm isn't all about just be still. The psalm, there's all kinds of other stuff about chaos going on in the world and how crazy the world is, and, and, and yet tucked into the middle of it, there's this idea, be still and know that I'm God. The psalmist knew something, though, in writing this, and very similar to the way that we heard Billy Joel set up the chorus of his song, the psalmist knew he was setting us up for something when he wrote this down. By the way, some of you haven't heard a word since I said JFK, blown away. I know you're still humming the song, dude. We didn't start the fire. So let me pull us back here for a minute. The same way that Billy Joel set the stage for the for his chorus. The psalmist is also setting the stage. He's creating the moment for something in his, his song that is more than, just, more than just a personal invitation to slow down. The writer wants us to see something here. So last week, uh, Karen Sackett posted something on Facebook. Uh, I love the things you post, Karen. This one, like all great humor, had a, a really strong element of truth in it. It said this. You might have read it too. My nickname is Mom, but my full name is Mom, 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 Mom. Now, if you're a parent, this is something you understand right away. There's a gift that parents have, and I don't know how we get it, but Dina and I used to have, well, we still have, they're still our friends. I was going to say we used to have friends, but now it's just us and the children. No, uh, we have some friends. We used to go out to eat with them, and their child uh, had a voice that operated at certain waves and frequencies. I mean, this, this kid, and at a certain volume, he would scream the entire time. And it wasn't, I don't just mean like when he wanted something. I mean, he always wanted, the entire meal was this just this, like a sort of a fire alarm this was the, these were the same parents who would give us parenting advice while their child was standing behind them pulling all the tissues out of the boxes in our... Um, but what was amazing to us at the time, because we didn't have kids then, is that through this constant, just this sound of... They would sit and they would smile and they would talk to us and they would, they would talk like we're talking. There was no, like, we weren't talking over the screaming. It was... It was like there was nothing else happening in the room. And this is a gift that many times, most of the time, parents have. With our own kids, we can tune it out. But every once in a while, every once in a while, there's a time when that sound breaks through, right? And as, if you're a parent, you know there are times when you want to just say enough, when you want to be able to just like say the right word. I'm trying to practice this at home, but it usually ends in tears. Like, I, I haven't found the right balance where I can say, quiet, and actually have it get quiet. It's either 
nothing happens, or there are tears. Um, <laughs> you want to just be able to thunder at just the right volume, at just the right place, where it, 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 it causes the whole world to stop, and the squirrels and the elk outside all turn their heads to see what, what you have to say. I haven't mastered it yet. But if we look at the whole picture of Psalm 46, that moment is what the psalmist is setting us up for. And it reminds me of another story in the Gospel of Mark. Again, in your pew Bibles, uh, it's on page 931. In Mark's version of the story, Jesus had just finished teaching a big group of people, and he and the disciples get into a boat, and they're crossing to get away from the crowds. It's important for us to remember that at least a few of these disciples were, were fishermen. They knew how to, how to cope with storms, and yet, for some reason, they were out of their minds with fear. And here's how Mark describes the situation, picking up in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But when he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They ask a similar question to one we asked last week. Jesus, don't you care? And he woke and he rebuked the winds and said to the sea, peace, be still. Jesus uses the same words here that we read in the Psalms, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Be still. I have to imagine the disciples might have been a little confused. Like, if you have siblings, I am an only child. I know, bask in the glory of an only child. Um, if, you <laughs> if you have siblings and you've ever gotten in trouble, you may know the feeling. The quarrel starts, and mom and dad say that. They say, enough! And no one really knows who's in trouble. You know it wasn't, you know it's got to be the sibling. Not you, but you sort of assume, everyone else sort of assumes it was you. And you st- but for whatever reason, everything stops. I imagine Jesus saying, peace, be still, and the whole world stopping. The wind, the waves, the disciples. And Mark says there was a great calm, and the disciples started to get it. In the stillness, they recognized the presence of God next to them in the boat. I think the psalmist understood that sometimes the way the world operates means we don't recognize God at work in our midst. If it was David who wrote this psalm, he would certainly have understood it as a king of Israel. The children of Israel certainly would have understood it as a people who were almost always in conflict. And sometimes we know what that feels like too. And this is why I mentioned the whole thing about the Adventist part of our tribe. Because we don't believe this world is getting better. In the same way the psalmist knew that there were times that only divine intervention would stop what was going on in the world. As followers of Jesus today, we also believe that a time is coming, that God is preparing the world for a moment when he will say one final time, be still, enough, know that I am God. As followers of Jesus, of course, we can't help but feel responsibility, and we should, 
to bring hope to the world. We believe our church community can and should be an active presence in our neighborhoods and in our communities. But we also believe that it's ultimately not our work, not our voice that brings healing and hope to the world, but the voice of God saying one final time, be still and know that I am God. And that brings us soon to our third and final recalibrate question for the morning. You may remember that a couple weeks ago we talked about Psalm 1 and how the psalmist suggested that there's an invitation to be part of a better story, a bigger party. And that appeals to us on all sorts of levels, doesn't it? Parents, we want a better story for our kids. Spouses, we want a better story for our marriage. If you're single, you may think the better story for you is not to be single anymore. But the truth is, whoever you are, you can relate to this idea that there's a better story, a bigger picture. Something in the life of each of us that would make our lives feel more complete. And it's in our nature to chase those things, sometimes to the point where it drives us crazy. And that's why Jesus, Jesus gives us reminders like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other stuff. That's my paraphrase. All the other stuff will be added to you. You might remember the shirts or bumper stickers that used to say, tennis is life, the rest is just details, or golf is life, the rest is just details, or math is life, and the rest, is... no, you probably never saw that one. But Jesus actually said it first, God is life, the rest is just details. Seek first the kingdom of God. Learn to hear God's voice first. Learn to recognize God's voice first, and the other stuff will have a way of working itself out. It's a hard promise to believe sometimes, but we cling to it. We have to learn, maybe even learn to practice to hear the voice of God sometimes, don't we? Because it's not in our natural inclination. Our inclination is to hear the other voices, to see the obstacles, to look at the wind and the waves and say, Jesus, don't you even care? So this is my challenge for all of us, myself included this week. And it's our third recalibrate question. In what area of your life is Jesus asking you to be still? So you can hear his voice. So you can know he's still God in your life today.
say, Jesus, you are Lord of all. In the sun, in the rain, through the joy and through the pain, we say, Jesus, you are Lord of all. In the calm, in the storm, when we sing and when we mourn, we say, Jesus, you are Lord.
You're calling, you're calling us to the cross. You're calling, you're calling, you're calling us to the cross. You're calling, you're calling, you're calling, you're calling us to the cross. You're calling, you're calling. lyric in this next prayer I want to invite you to pray it says that all the poor and powerless will say that God is holy and that always struck me as maybe not the most urgent thing to recognize sort of in Maslow's hierarchy of needs holiness is great I used to think but shouldn't they recognize that God is faithful that God will provide, that God will feed them. But that's exactly what holiness is talking about. That God is holy. God is not like us. God's faithfulness doesn't run out. God is holy. God's not like us. God doesn't love conditionally. God is holy. God's not like us. God provides for all. So I think that word does sum up the hope we all have. All the poor and powerless, all the lost and lonely, all the thieves will come confess, you know that you are holy, you know, you know that you are holy, let's sing that much again, all the poor. All the poor and powerless And all the lost and lonely And all the thieves will come confess You know that you are holy And know And know that you are holy And all will
hearts who are content and don't feel unworthy. All heard with nothing left. Lord, you are. I'd like to share with you. From a very young age, the concept of tithing was introduced to me. If I did a little chore around the house and I received 10 cents, I know my age is showing, one penny went into my tithe envelope. As I got a little older and my chores got bigger, I might have earned an entire dollar. 
and then 10 cents went into my tithe envelope. As time went on and I grew into adulthood, fortunately my earnings increased, but so did my level of responsibility. There are many times throughout our life that as I've sat down to pay bills, at the end I've wondered, how did I have enough money to cover those bills? God can do more with 90% than we can do with our 100%. God says, trust me, prove me. To me, tithing and trust go hand in hand. If there's some of you that haven't yet taken this journey with God, I would urge you to prayerfully consider it. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you bestow upon us. I ask that you bless each person that is here today. Amen. with me for the blessing.
May Jesus bless you with gentleness and a heart that is tender. May Jesus bless you with strength against all principalities. May Jesus bless you with compassion and care. May Jesus bless you with courage, daring to be who you are. May Jesus bless you with openness, understanding, and respect. May Jesus bless you with the power to make Jesus all. It has been our great joy to worship with you today, and we would encourage you to join us in following the daily walk. You can find it at boulder.church backslash daily. And until we get to worship together again, we ask that you live love.